You are listening to Defunct Games Presents Cyril Reed's Bionic Commando. Hello and welcome. My name is Cyril Lachelle, and we're back with another exciting season of Cyril Reads, the one and only podcast that is daring enough to read some of the worst video game books ever written. Over the next 13 episodes, we're going to be reading a book called Bionic Commando, written by J.B. Stamper and published in 1991. The concept is simple. Every Wednesday over the next 13 weeks, Defunct Games plans on offering you a couple of chapters of this spectacular book. Read word for word the way it was written, exactly the way it was written. Throw in some authentic special effects, real Bionic Commando music, and an open letter to the author, and we have a packed podcast that is well worth listening to. Let me reiterate, we did not write this book, and we have nothing to do with the man who did. Instead, we're reading it for our own amusement. Oh, and before I forget, uh, for those of you who listen closely to, to each of these episodes, you'll be treated to a contest with actual prizes. So pay attention, and you may be able to win your own copy of Bionic Commando for the Xbox Live Arcade or PSN. For more information about these, please visit defunctgames.com. Anyway, the theme song has come to a close, and so that can only mean one thing. It's time to listen to the first episode of Cyril Reed's Bionic Commando. The Pit of Peril Jack looked at the floor. In front of him was an open pit with sharp spikes sticking out from its bottom. There was only one way across that pit. He'd have to swing out over it. And hope he didn't end up as a shish kebab. Then something happened that gave him hope. A panel in the floor started moving back and forth over the spikes. This might be the break he needed. Jack waited for the exact right second. Then he pointed his bionic arm upwards, pushing a button, and shot out a grappling hook into the ceiling. Thonk! Jack tugged at the rope hanging down from the hook. The hook held. Then aiming for the shifting panel, Jack swung out over the pit. Halfway across the pit, Jack looked down. Something was wrong. Very wrong. The panel was moving away from him instead of towards him. Beneath his feet, the pit was yawning wide like a mouth of a famished monster. Only a few more seconds and he would be mincemeat. Worlds of Power presents Bionic Commando, a novel based on the best-selling game by Capcom. Book created by FX9, written by J.B. Stamper, story created by Capcom and Eric Lewand, a Seth Godin production. This book is not authorized, sponsored, or endorsed by Nintendo of America, Scholastic Incorporated, New York, Toronto, London, Auckland, Sydney. Bionic Commando is dedicated to my bionic nephews, Ted and Dan. Chapter 1 Jack Markson stood by a huge window of the Federation penthouse in Buenos Aires. He looked out at the setting sun, hovering over the rooftops of the city. He hadn't felt peace like this for months, not since he started the mission against the Nas. Jack ran his hand through his short brown hair and thought back to the early hours of the day. Before sunrise, he and his partner, Super Joe, had burst into the hiding place of the Nas terrorist organization. The surprise raid had netted them every important Nas leader. Only one thing had slipped through their hands, 
the plans for the Albatross. A weapon of destruction so powerful that it could wipe out the entire world. Jack turned around as Super Joe came through the penthouse door carrying four boxes of hot pizza. He was still wearing the green commando uniform and looked like he needed a shower. Bad. Looks like the sunset for the Nas, huh, Jack? Joe said, looking out the window. Sure does, Jack said. I'm glad I'm not spending the night in that Argentinian jail with them. It looks pretty grim. They're getting what they deserve, Joe said, opening up the pizza and starting to eat. And we're getting what we deserve. This stuff is great. Jack sat down and joined him. Neither one of them had a chance to eat all day. Joe put his feet up on the glass table and looked around the room at the leather furniture, deep pile carpet, and full wall window. This sure beats a lot of places we've stayed on our missions, he said. I don't know about that, Jack said. The prison in Bangkok was real nice. So was the sewer pipe in Russia. Joe laughed without stopping eating. Jack let his mind wander back to the other horrible places that he and Joe had spent time in on missions. They went back a long, long way together. Ten years ago, they had met in the Federation spy school for green recruits. Since then, they had shared a lot of adventures and a lot of danger. Through it all, Jack had learned to trust Joe. And there's nothing more important in the spy game than trust. How are we going to explain to the captain about Albatross? Joe asked as he finished off his pizza. The captain already knows, Jack answered. I talked to him while you were gone. He's worried that some other power-hungry madman has gotten a hold of those plans. You mean, kilt? Joe said grimly. Right, Jack said. Generalissimo killed Federation's top enemy and the biggest maniac who ever threatened the free world. Jack walked back to the window and thought about Kilt and his organization called Bad. They already had secret compounds established around the world. They got their hands on Albatross. They could make a play for world domination. What about our next assignment? Jack asked, thinking about the future. Think it might be Kilt? Super Joe didn't answer. Jack turned around and saw that Joe was frozen in his place. He seemed to be listening to something. What's the mat? Jack started to ask. Then he sensed it too. Danger. Get down! Super Joe yelled, pulling Jack to the floor. The agents flattened themselves into the thick carpet. Seconds later, two bullets whizzed over their heads, smashing a mirror across the room into a million little pieces. You okay? Jack asked without raising his head an inch from the carpet. Yeah, Jack answered, thinking about what a perfect target he had made against the window. I guess I owe you one, buddy. You owe me too, buddy, Joe said. Don't forget, I saved you from the Nas torture squad last week. Listen, I paid you back for that one when I saved you from the Nas thugs the very next day, Jack said. 
he started to grin in spite of their danger. For years, he and Joe had been keeping count. Another pair of bullets blasted through the window, whistling by even closer to their heads. Those guys are good, Joe said. Real good. Jack knew that things were getting serious. His well-trained commando instincts were going off like fire alarms. Turning to look at the glass wall of the penthouse, he picked out four clean holes shot through the window. Snipers, he said. They've been watching us. You think they're alone? No chance, Joe answered. I've got a gut feeling killed us behind this, and I'll bet our little vacation is over. Jack surveyed the room. His eyes spotted a safe place near the wall about 20 feet away. He wasn't going to stay here on the floor like a sitting duck for Bad's target practice. I'm running for cover, Jack yelled. Now! He sprung across the room like a panther, just beating two bullets to a wall opposite the doorway. Meanwhile, Joe dove behind the heavy brass sculpture. Are you thinking what I'm thinking? Joe called out. I'm thinking we're going to get visitors soon, Jack answered. He reached over and flicked off a switch, killing the lights and the huge chandelier hanging over the entranceway. For a full minute, the room was filled with dead silence. Jack felt his muscles tighten with tension. He didn't like being on the defensive like this. Who knew how many Kilt's henchmen might burst through that door? Slowly, Jack pulled his gun from his holster on his chest. Seconds later, the door of the penthouse slammed open. Five ninjas dressed in black from head to toe jumped inside the room. Jack saw the red eagle embroidered on their jackets. It was the symbol of bad. The ninjas advanced. Their sharp pronged shurikens glinted in their hands. The sharpened steel throwing stars could kill a man in an instant. From his hiding place, Jack took careful aim at the metal cord that held the glass chandelier on the ceiling. He fired. 10,000 crystals of glass crashed around the ninja's heads. They fell to the floor unconscious. Their shurikens slid across the polished floor towards Jack and Super Joe. It's bad, all right. Joe yelled to Jack. Hey, they may be bad, but we're worse, Jack called back. There was no time to laugh. Five more ninjas jumped into the room. They marched over to the fallen comrades, slicing the air with their swords. Jack's commando instincts told him to use his gun, but his code of honor held him back. He would never fire a gun against an enemy first, not even against bad. Jack searched the room for another weapon. On the wall behind him, he saw a ninja sword. Silently, he thanked the Federation's decorator and grabbed the sword. Two of the ninjas sprang towards him, the swords seeking his blood. Jack centered his concentration in his sword, following what the ninja masters at the Federation school had taught him. Then he slashed the air in front of him making the sword a blur of steel. Both ninjas drew back in fear. With graceful power, 
Jack thrust out his left foot in a karate kick and blasted away the sword of one of the ninjas, then stunned him with a chop to the neck. The other ninja lunged forward, driving his sword towards Jack's heart. Jack jumped aside and flipped the ninjas in the air, watching him crumble onto the floor. Jack! It was Joe calling him from across the room. He turned in time to see Joe heave the brass sculpture at the two ninjas attacking him. They sprawled back and fell, pinned down to the floor. Jack started towards Joe to help him finish off the third ninja. A sound at the door stopped them in their tracks. Ten more ninjas sprang into the room wearing the red eagle on their black uniforms. They crouched in attack positions like an evil statues. Then a figure in black silk and a leather strode through the door. His black hair was combed off his low, bulging forehead. His red lips were curled in a sneer. His cold blue eyes cut like daggers into Jack's face. It was Kilt. Capture them alive! Kilt commanded in the cruel voice. Five of the ninjas sprang towards Jack. The other five lunged for Joe. Joe was caught off guard by the ninjas he was still fighting. He leapt away into the grip of a pair of giant ninjas who pinned his arms behind his body. Three others unsheathed their swords and pointed them at Joe's throat. A rush of adrenaline coursed through Jack's body as he saw Joe captured. He tried to move across the room to help Joe. The five ninjas coming towards him with their swords blocked his way. Stealthily, like a cat, Jack crept towards the huge glass window. An idea was forming in his mind. A desperate idea, but that's all he could think of. He knew he had to escape, that he had to help Joe. Kilt's wicked laugh filled the air and mocked him. Give yourself up, Jack Markson! Kilt sneered. There's no way out this time. We're going to take you as a hostage. If the Federation tries to stop our plans, you will die. Ha ha ha. Jack looked over at Super Joe, trying to read his thoughts. Joe's eyes told him to escape any way he could. Kilt ordered the ninjas to capture Jack. They began to close in around him. One drew out a shuriken and pointed its sharpened steel spike at Jack's throat. Jack looked over at Joe one last time, hoping that he would understand. Then Jack sprang towards the glass wall with a cry like a wild animal. His body shattered the glass and flew through a huge, gaping hole. Jack felt the air rush out of his lungs as he spiraled towards the ground at 20 floors below. His mind crept near panic as he thought of the small place he was aiming towards. Looking up at the penthouse, he saw a ninja standing at the broken window, holding a shuriken in his hands. The last thing Jack saw was the ninja's arms, flashing out. Then, all was darkness. Game Hint Get the bazooka after you defeat the albatross in Stage 12. Chapter 2 
Jack woke up in a strange room where everything was white and lit by bright lights. For a few seconds, he thought he had died. Then he heard a woman's voice. Doctor, he's awake! Slowly, Jack's mind struggled out of the haze of confusion. He tried to remember what had happened. He remembered breaking through the glass window and falling, falling. Jack shifted his body in the bed and felt a strange pain that he had never felt before. What happened to me? He called out, feeling weak and helpless. A young nurse with soft gray eyes came to stand over him. She smoothed down the sheet that laid over his chest and arms. You'll be all right, she said. Everything will be all right. I remember falling, Jack said, hoping that she wouldn't walk away again. It was twenty floors to the ground. What happened to me? Her eyes crinkled at the corners. You landed in the hotel swimming pool, she said. Fortunately, it was the deep end. A slow, crazy laugh rose from the deep of Jack's throat. He remembered everything now. It had been a wild chance that he took jumping from the penthouse window. He had counted on falling into the swimming pool, and he had made it. His laugh died in a choking sound as he remembered his last sight of Super Joe, surrounded by kilts ninjas. He looked at the nurse, almost afraid to ask his question. My partner, Super Joe. Where is he? The smile on the nurse's face faded, and she quickly moved away from the bed. A minute later, a doctor took her place, looking down at Jack with worried eyes. I... I'm Dr. Suchia, he said. We've called your captain to to come talk to you. Meanwhile, you should try to relax. A wave of anger washed over Jack. How could he relax when he didn't even know where he was? How could he relax when he didn't even know where Super Joe was, or, or if he was dead or alive? Doctor, I'm not a stupid kid. You can just pacify with a statement like that, Jack said. Tell me where I am. The doctor hesitated. You're in a top secret army hospital in Maryland, said a familiar voice. You were flown here on a special jet after your fall. Jack struggled to sit up straight as he heard the captain enter the room. But he lost his balance, trying to put his weight on his right arm. His head fell back against the pillow as the captain walked to his bed. Jack tried to read his mood, but learned nothing from a steel-blue gaze. Hello, sir. Good to see you again, Jack said respectfully. "Uh, Good to see you too, Jack, the captain answered with more warmth than his voice than usual. I hear you've taken up diving since I saw you last. Jack grinned, mostly because he'd never heard the captain tell a joke before. Then his smile disappeared as he thought of Joe crowded back into his mind. Where's Super Joe, Captain? Jack asked. Kilt had taken him as a hostage the last time I saw him. I did everything I could to save him. At least, I think I did. 
I don't know now. Oh, maybe I should have stayed and fought. Relax, Jack, the captain interrupted. Super Joe is alive. Kilt is holding him prisoner at Bad Secret Hideout in the Pacific. I'm going there as soon as I get off this bed, Jack said with his teeth gritted. He threw the covers aside and tried again to lift himself up. His right arm still felt strange. For the first time, Joe looked down at it. He felt a wave of shock, followed by disbelief. His arm was gone! In, in, in its place was a finely modeled piece of plastic. What did you do to me? He shouted at the captain in panic. Where's my arm? The captain stared at him with a steely gaze and didn't answer. Jack knew the captain didn't like displays of irrational emotion on his spies. Well, that was tough. They had taken away his arm and replaced it with this fake thing. His career as a commando was over. Jack, listen to me, the captain said sternly. You lost your arm in the fall in Buenos Aires. We, we think you were wounded by a shuriken we, we found at the bottom of the pool. Your arm was further damaged when you hit the water. We had no choice. We had to operate. Jack remembered the ninja standing at the penthouse window with the shuriken in his hand. The shuriken must have hit him just before he blacked out. Jack slowly raised the plastic arm in the air, studying it for the first time. At first glance, it appeared to be real. The fingers and, and muscles looked like, like, like those things that you would see on other arms. Jack ran his fingers on the left hand across the arm, feeling it respond to his touch. What is this thing, Captain? he asked. He still felt repelled by the arm, but his horror was slowly giving away to curiosity. Well, it's a bionic arm, Jack, the captain said with a tinge of pride in his voice. Our scientists have been developing it in secret for years. I wish I could have asked your permission to give it to you, Jack, but time was important. You were unconscious for days, you see. Jack felt his emotions settle into the cool logic he knew a spy should display. He pressed his grief about the real arm farther and farther back into his mind. The arm is a powerful weapon, Jack, the captain said. With it, you're the first bionic commando. Jack repeated the words to himself. Bionic commando. He didn't know what that meant yet but it must mean that his career as a Federation agent was not yet over. Jack touched the arm again with his left hand and accidentally pressed the thumb against the palm. A metal grappling hook suddenly shot out of the plastic hand and clamped onto the ceiling above him. Jack looked at the captain in amazement. You'll find that the hook is helpful in getting out of tight situations, the captain said with a smile. Federation scientists will give you a special briefing on the arm in the next day or two, the captain went on. But right now, let's give you a quick rundown of the capabilities. 
Jack watched and listened carefully as the captain pointed out the secret triggers and activators on the arm. Activate this button and you can scramble electric fields, the captain said, touching a small nub on the middle finger. Very useful when trying to evade the enemy's monitoring devices. Jack thought of a few times he could have used that. Like the mission in Siberia, where he was caught sending a message to Joe in Moscow. The index finger can be heated up to a thousand degrees Celsius, the captain went on. At that temperature, you can melt down almost anything that gets in your way. Jack pressed the activator, and the captain had shown him. He stuck the index finger out into the container of water by his bed, Instantly, it boiled away into steam. Uh, the arm itself has incredible strength, the captain went on. It can punch with a force of ten men and throw objects with great accuracy and speed. Jack thought back to the penthouse fight in Buenos Aires. In his mind, he replayed the scene with the bionic arm, knocking over Kilt and his ninjas and rescuing Joe. The arm has a few more little tricks, the captain said. For, for instance, uh, its fingers are ultra-sensitive. You can use them to, to open safes and, you know, disarm bombs. But, but this is a little trick I like best. The captain pressed down on the nail of the smallest finger. I've just activated a special electromagnetic field, he explained. If you point it at an enemy, he'll be compelled to tell you the truth. Jack felt the surge of anger and frustration boil up to the surface from deep within his mind. He raised the finger and pointed it at the captain. Will it make you tell the truth too, Captain? He asked. Yes, Jack. The captain said grimly. What are Super Joe's chances of living? Jack asked. Not good, the captain said. He will only survive if your mission to rescue him is a success. What are my chances of surviving the mission? Jack asked, staring straight into the captain's eyes. Slim, the captain answered. This is a suicide mission. To be continued. And now, an open letter to J.B. Stamper, author of Bionic Commando. Dear J.B. Stamper, Hello, my name is Cyril Lachelle, and I hope you don't mind me sending you weekly emails. You see, I've been reading your book, Bionic Commando, and I have a few comments. You probably didn't listen to me read Ninja Gaiden, but a few weeks ago... I, I was sending all sorts of letters to your colleague A.L. Singer. Well, let me just start off by saying that I hope that you don't plan on ruining Bionic Commando in the same sort of way that A.L. Singer ruined Ninja Gaiden. Alright, now that we have that out of the way, let me just tell you that Bionic Commando is one of my favorite games of all time. I remember playing this thing endlessly when I was a kid, and I couldn't be more excited that Capcom has decided 20 years later to resurrect this NES game for the Xbox Live Arcade and uh, PSN. Of course, you had nothing to do with that, so you probably don't care. 
But, but let me just say that, that you should rush out to your favorite next generation console and download this game right now. It's really spectacular and you'll be really happy that you did. Well, unless your favorite next generation console is the Wii. In that case, I'm not even sure I want to continue talking to you. Anyway, so let's talk about the two chapters I just read. I liked what you did here. You, you went back in time to explain how plain old regular Jack became the Bionic Commando. But did you have to make Super Joe such a doofus? I mean, it, it, it wasn't just the way I read it, though I'm sure that was part of it. But, but for a guy named Super Joe, he, he's actually kind of a pushover. I mean, plain old regular Jack managed to escape without a problem. Well, you know, relatively speaking. But Super Joe was captured. I think I might be time for the two commandos, you know, to, to trade names or something. Also, uh, if it was just the two of them in that penthouse, then, then why did Super Joe bring back four pizzas? How hungry were these guys? Four pizzas is enough to feed a small army of ninjas. Oh, wait. So after a brief battle, Jack learns that he has lost his arm and now has a brand new bionic arm. Alright, well that's all well and good. But did they have to make it out of plastic? I know the bionic arm I tried on at E3 was made out of plastic, but that's because it was meant to be a prop. It, it seems like the people in charge w- would have would have made it out of some sturdier material, you know, maybe something that, that couldn't melt. I don't know. And did you see the cover of your own book? The, the hero on the cover ha- still has both of his arms. The, the bionic part is actually something the, the guy straps onto one of his arms, you know, like a, like a watch or a bracelet or something. And let me tell you, if I was the one who woke up and realized that some mad scientist had removed my arm and replaced it with a plastic device, I'm not so sure I would be as calm as Solid Snake. I mean, I mean, Jack. It would have taken a whole army of bionic commandos to hold me down as the commander tried to explain the benefits. Yet Jack seems to, to get over it in a paragraph or two. Just wait until Jack learns what else has been made bionic. Finally... I'm a little concerned about Jack's lack of interest in guns. The game I played was full of guns, most of which were fired by our hero. Hell, shooting your gun was just about the only way to kill anybody in the game. This makes me wonder if the entire book is going to be completely non-violent. And if that's the case, then how the hell are you going to uh, get Jack to to kill Kilt and save Super Joe? What's more, if Jack had just used the gun in the first place... He would never have lost his arm, and his buddy would never have been kidnapped. Seriously, sometimes a gun is very handy. You know, I I don't mean to make this sound like, you know, the NRA or something, but it's true. Alright, well that's about enough from me. I'm excited to see where you take this and and where Jack goes with his bionic arm. If it's anything like the game, then we're going to be in for loads of fun. However, if it's anything like Ninja Gaiden, then we're going to be in for another 12 weeks of painful writing. Good luck, and uh, let's let's hope you don't make this book suck. Yours truly, Cyril Lachelle.